so tonight, today, this afternoon, wherever it is you are in the world, um, we'll be hearing from Dennis T. Dennis is part of the NA Fellowship. Um, I see him quite a bit at uh, different meetings. I always love what he has to say. Actually, that's a lie. Sometimes I don't like it because the truth hurts. Um, but either way, um, he's got a good message. So uh, let's give it up for Dennis. It's all yours. And thank you for your service. Oh, I can unmute. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Marsha. My name is Dennis and I'm an addict. And uh, I was definitely looking forward to this because uh, I'd come across a series of coincidences in my life in the last few years. And um, I had been adopted into a, an Irish Catholic family in uh, New York in 1947. I was 13 days old. I never knew my mother. Uh, and in those days, when you were adopted, you never got to know your mother. You know what I mean? That was it. You couldn't trace them down. You couldn't ask questions. You couldn't do it. My father never hid anything. My adopted father, of course, never hid anything from me at all. I knew, always knew that I was adopted, which hurt. But, uh, you know, I got past it. I had a mother now and everything was cool. And she passed away uh, when I was four and a half. My first uh, difficulty with religion, you know, as uh, they were Irish Catholics and, uh, and she couldn't uh, undergo a surgery, which is understandable. They had been married for 12 years, had no children. Then they adopted me. A year and a half later, they adopted my half-sister, which I didn't find out until she was a half-sister until a few years ago. But um, And then she got pregnant, which was wonderful, you know? I mean, it was am amazing. Everybody was ecstatic. And then she got, uh, you, I guess it was stomach cancer or uterine cancer. It was called stomach cancer in those days, you know? And, uh, and she wouldn't have the surgery because she would have lost the baby. So essentially, my adopted mother then, in, 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 in the eyes of a child, okay, got to remember that. That's what I was, four, four years old, three and a half, four years old. And um, she decided to die rather than to uh, lose the child, which was, it was a bitter pill for me in those days. So whatever, I felt abandoned and abandoned and abandoned and whatever, you know, so that I can remember when I was about seven or eight, when uh, life became dark. That's all I, that's the only thing I can categorize it uh, as. I remember that distinctly, life became dark. I had been an absolute straight A student until that time. And then I started to slowly, my grades slowly started to slip. And since I had started reading when I was three and I was reading scholastic tomes by the time I was five, uh, which is absurd, but it's true. So I was a little bit ahead of the rest of the class and I was expected to uh, excel. And, uh, and it, went, it went sideways, you know, it went backwards from that point. And um, I was terribly easily distracted. I probably had any any of a half a dozen different uh, 
you know, things that they could uh, figure out today or medications that could have been applied. In those days, there wasn't anything, you know. I was just a troubling kid and I was intellectually lazy. That was my first label. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, I was, I was really smart and I wouldn't uh, cooperate, you know. Well, by the time I was, uh, I think I was, I think I was seven or younger, possibly. I learned how to steal books because I could, I, they couldn't keep up with me. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't take enough books from the library. I couldn't uh, find enough books at home. I couldn't, you know, I needed more books. So I learned to steal comic books at that, in that, at that point. But by the time I was uh, seven years old, for sure, I was stealing uh, science fiction books. <laughs> that was my next thing. So, yeah, eventually uh, at age 10, I got... Uh, you know, the family was Irish Catholic. Again, another common theme, they, they all drank, you know, and, uh, but they drank like gentlemen, except for my Uncle John. He was an alcoholic. Everybody talked about him kind of quietly, you know. John has a little trouble with the drink, yeah. So anyway, um, by age 10, I found, uh, I can remember my first beer over behind the, the railroad tracks, behind some parked uh, boxcars. Clearly, distinctly remember drinking my very first beer. And, uh, and of course I got loaded, you know what I mean? I was, oh, it was ecstatic, it was wonderful, fucking fabulous. Boy, it was the greatest thing that ever happened. And, uh, and I quickly became a, uh, a pretty regular weekend drunk. Uh, which was remarkable at that age, frankly. And uh, and it proceeded from there. Uh, we didn't have drugs in the neighborhood, even in the Bronx where I grew up. Uh, there were no druggies in, in the neighborhood in those days. Uh, but shortly after that, I first heard about the first ones, the first two that I'd ever heard of, I became good friends with one of them, you know, and uh, I, 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 I jumped in feet first. Uh, he was smoking weed and shooting heroin, you know, so uh, that was a, a, a revelation. That was like uh, astonishing. I mean, Jesus Christ Almighty. I can remember feeling that the sun rose in the back of my head. The sun came right up out of the ground in the back of my head. It was fucking incredible, unbelievable. And uh, scared the dog shit right out of me because it was too good. You know, it really was. It was fucking too good. It was, you know, it terrified me. So I tried to stay away from that. And uh, at that point, I found somebody, somebody had some speed. And of course, in those days, again, in uh, 66, 65, 67, somewhere in that area, uh, speed wasn't addictive. You know, your speed, methadrine, not addictive. That's what they thought, you know. So, yeah, so I first became actually, frankly, strung out uh, after I gave up alcohol at, at about 16, 17. 
I found speed and I quickly became a speed freak. And uh, that persisted. I, I was using everything else I could get my hands on also, but uh, that was my main stay. And uh, I used, I was, I, I used that for seven years at, at the end of which time uh, I had um, managed to lose my job, lose my uh, place I was staying at, lose uh, pretty much lose just about everything. And uh, I had been reduced to driving a cab. I had actually, believe it or not, uh, failed out of college at, uh, at uh, 18 or 19, 18, I think it was 19. And, uh, and, and went back home. I was in Albany, New York. And then I went back home to the Bronx uh, after I failed out of college. And uh, I was home for six weeks. My father said, you got to get a job or you got to move. So about two weeks later, I hadn't gotten a job. And uh, he said, well, listen, there's a civil service test coming up. I want you to take that. I said, oh, great, I'll be a fireman. He said, no. He said, what? He said, no, no, no. He says, it's a, it's a, it's a test for the police department. I thought, I'm only 18 or 19. I can't be a cop, you know? He's, he said, no, no, no. He says, they'll put you on as a police trainee and you, know, you just uh, work in the precinct uh, answering phones and stuff. I said, oh, fuck it, you know, why not? So I could always take tests. That's how I managed to get as far as college. I would fail fail for the year on the uh on the on the, the school's uh test scores but uh, we had a, a double standard in new york you could have you have the school st st uh, tests and then you had what they call the regents exams put out by the state and the regents exams were very very tough they were unbelievably difficult and I would fucking ace them every year. And then if you pass the regents, just you're in, baby. You didn't, didn't matter what the fuck you had. I had a 42 average in, in, in uh, history in the sophomore year. I got a 98 on the fucking regents, scored by the guy who hated my fucking guts for the 40, with the 42 average. And he said, I took a point off of penmanship and a point off of composition. I couldn't figure out how to take any more points off. So you got a 98. He hated me anyway. So that was the uh, high school career. And, and, uh, and I got out of high school and I even got into college because, again, I aced the fucking tests, you know, the, the scholastic exams and all that shit. And, and uh, uh, I got a semi-scholarship to the fucking college, which is, is ridiculous, but it's, you know, facts. I was, still a, I was still a drunk in those days, really, pretty much but I'd found speed. So I went up to college and I, uh, I was, I didn't get any speed up there, but I had, pl had plenty of fucking booze in Albany, which I found. And uh, at the end of that semester, I had failed out of college due to absence. I had stopped going to the fucking classes. I got pissed off again over religion in a history class because I knew more fucking history than the fucking teacher. Anyway, so that was uh, my story. And, uh, you know, 
I come home and I, and I could take this fucking civil service exam, which I fucking aced, of course. And I fucking became a police trainee and I was loaded as a wolf most of the time when I was. Uh... But, you know, in those days, they still had that blue wall, even in New York, even after Serpico, which hadn't been too many years prior. I, I knew the the the. the the uh, fly captain who who uh, ran Serpico, frankly, I met him. Anyway, uh, so comes 21 years old, bingo. I'm a fucking New York cop. Pop, I go through the uh, academy, which I actually had to go through twice because uh, they weren't satisfied with the scores the first time, but they didn't want to get rid of us. It was a bunch of us, and they, pay, and they put us through twice, and uh, most of us passed and became cops. And... Uh, but we were all dope fiends in one form or another, that whole group. And years later, I was reading a book, uh, uh, which I read, fuck, I read like a fucking, uh, like people eat. And um, I come across a, a line in the book, and they're talking about the bad class who came out of the police academy. And I knew who the fuck they were talking about, you know? So that was me, yeah. So I became a cop in the 42... 42nd precinct in the Bronx. And uh, my father was one of 12. My mother was one of 15. And uh, one of my mother's brother-in-laws, George Primrose, was a precinct captain in in uh, in, in Western, uh, Upper West New York, Upper West, not the Upper West Side, but uh, the Western side, of the, the West Side of the Bronx. And he was a precinct captain in the 48th precinct. And um, the system in the, in the police department works by what you call, who's your rabbi? In other words, who you got uh, looking out for you, you know? And I wasn't there two days and every motherfucker in the place already knew that George Primrose was my uncle. So they never did fuck with me. Never did fuck with me. Uh, I grew a great big handlebar mustache, came to work. Every fucking day I went to work, I was loaded and stayed loaded for three years. And, uh, then, and, and, and almost got busted a few times, but uh, they'd come into the fucking place I was at and they'd say, this is an arrest, uh, you know, you're under, under arrest. Raise your hands, raise your hands. So I knew what to do. I said, Sergeant, Sergeant, I says, who's that? I said, Sergeant, I got a gun. He says, what? He says, uh, I says, I've got a gun. He says, I'm a cop. You know, he says, oh, shit. He turns around. He says, okay, everybody get the fuck out of here. Well, this is over. We'll see you all later. Now you get the fuck out of here, and I don't want to see you or hear from you again. Anyway, so that was my career as a cop. I finally got busted in Jersey for drugs, and then I lost my job as a New York cop. And uh, and that was the end of my speed, too. Speed had such a terrible effect on me after seven years of nonstop speed, using speed. Uh, I had a form of tardive dyskinesia. If you, any, you know what that is, your face, you, you know, the muscles in your face stop working properly. It's like Bell's palsy, but it's temporary. And uh, what happened to me was I'm... Uh, I um, uh, couldn't just smile for two fucking years, right? 
Yeah. So I was pretty smart about that. I quit speed, you know, but I kept using uh, everything else for another 12 fucking years, you know, genius at work, of course. Anyway, anyway, anyway. So I used everything in the fucking PDR and everything that was uh, uh, available in the street period uh, and and lived uh, in Greenwich Village, lived uh, in Fleabag fucking hotels, $15 a week in New York years ago. It was, a, you know, what they call the welfare hotels, panhandled. Uh, I was good for 60 bucks a night panhandling. And that was a shit pot full of money in those days. Let me tell you, we'd go to I went to a Grateful Dead concert when uh, in Phil in the Fillmore East in New York, and it was like seven dollars for a fucking t- ticket to see the Grateful Dead. That's how long ago that was, really. And uh, we went in at seven o'clock, got out at five thirty a.m. Broad daylight, bright broad daylight. Fucking Dead played all night long. Unbelievable. They came back three times. Because the audience refused to stop applauding and screaming. And they came, they came back and they came back and they came back. It's fucking amazing shit. Absolutely incredible. So anyway, that was the highlights. It was on so many lowlights. It's not even worth talking about. By this time, I was so fucked up. Uh, the only women who would talk to me were hookers. And that's all they would do is talk by this time. I was fucked up pretty pretty bad i managed to uh forget to take a bath one winter not a good idea i promise you so when i did take the bath at the finally at the end of the winter i had to scrape the garbage out of the goddamn tub with a with a, with a chunk of uh cut a box up and and, and scoop it out with a box had to dr- uh, clean it and drain it three different times before it would drain Fucked up, yes, I was fucked up, yes. And uh, came out of that uh, and um, was driving a gypsy cab by this time in New York. Uh, and uh, a bunch of guys uh, from my old neighborhood, younger than me, uh, but they decided they wanted to, to leave New York. And I couldn't get away from fucking heroin, no matter what I did. I, I, I moved and got new jobs, got new clothes, new friends, new neighborhoods. And uh, three months later, I was shooting dope again. So, you know, it just, it was no, there was no way out. And I figured, well, uh, uh, where you guys, you guys are leaving, huh? They said, yeah. I said, where the hell are you going? I had tried to leave three times and uh, go to fucking Haight-Ashbury, right? That was my dream. And every fucking time I went to Haight-Ashbury, I I either woke up in jail or I went to jail, period. Every fucking time. So I I says, you guys are leaving? They says, yeah, yeah, we're leaving. I says, where are you going? Florida. Oh, hey, can I go with you? You know, no, I'm not going to fucking jail again. So then I went to uh, Florida for, uh, I spent four years in Fort Lauderdale and they got lots of heroin in Fort Lauderdale, let me tell you. And I, I found those, uh, but uh, 
goddamn uh, the Lord. Yeah, boy, oh boy. Anyway, uh, I left uh, Florida four and a half years later when the uh, bottom fell out of the construction business. I'd been working construction and uh, there wasn't any fucking work to be had in Florida. So I hitchhiked to New Orleans and uh, I sat in New Orleans. It was a fucking incredible place. It was a phenomenal place. Uh, fantastic place. I, I couldn't say enough about it. It was just a dream. And, uh, and I loved it. You know, it was a, the craziest place I'd ever been in my life. And uh, three years into that, uh, I met a girl, a local girl, and uh, got married. She had a three-year-old daughter. And then uh, we had two more kids and, uh, and uh, about five years in, four years in, uh, she had gotten a job working in a treatment center. And, and I had gotten back into, uh, I had found a fucking cocaine by that point. And uh, I saw on top of the heroin, so. The cocaine was bringing me back to the same horse shit that I, I could, I could, it was just like fucking speed. Okay. It was the same rack of shit that the speed had got me into. So, uh, I, I said to my wife thinking that, it, you know, I didn't believe in the program. I knew it didn't work. My uncle John never could stay clean. He had been in AA for like 30, 40 years and, 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 and could never stay clean, you know? So I, I knew it was bullshit that didn't work, but I, I needed a rest. You know, I needed to get away from this fucking shit. Uh, I always say, tell people cocaine ruined my fucking using. And um, I, uh, I went into the treatment center. It took him two weeks to convince me that I was an addict. I mean, I had been shooting dope for 17 years. I've been getting loaded for 28 years at that point. And, uh, and my trick was that I could kick, you know, that's how I, that's how I managed to use for that length of time by, uh, every time I would get a, 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 a slight habit, I would kick. You know, and I did it whew, 10, 12 times, maybe more. So I wasn't like the real addicts. You know what I mean? They could never kick. I had plenty of friends who shot dope 24, 7, 365. And they never, ever could kick. And, uh, you know, most of the time they would just disappear after a while and I would have to find new friends. You know what I mean? They were either dead or in jail or whatever. So I, I was desperate not to let that happen to me and and i kept you know i kept it in bay at bay by kicking every so often but you know the thing was about that i learned something i i, I learned that uh, no matter what i did no matter how many times i uh, i kicked uh i always wound up uh three four five six months later whatever it was in an abandoned building in a staircase by candlelight, shooting dope by myself, thinking, holy fuck, how did this happen again? You know? So I learned, you know, that uh, whenever you kick, when you go back, not only do you go back, but when you go back, it's worse than it was before. 
you know. So I, I, I went into this treatment center and at two weeks in this, this woman doctor who was an addict, an ex-addict, a recovered addict, explained the situation. She says, what you were doing, she says, you know, you, you're the only one that can de decide if you're an addict or not. I says, but, she says, but what you're doing is called protecting your addiction, making sure you'll be able to use again later. And the thing was that I had actually had the exact same thought myself. And I recognized that she actually knew what she was talking about. But, you know, I also had bad experiences in treatment. They had a great meeting in the, in, in the big hall one day, and there was like 45 addicts in treatment. And uh, all the counselors were in the front of the room and they decided to ask people questions. And the first question they asked was, what was the first thing you were addicted to? So I thought about it. It took me about two seconds and I raised my hand. And they said, oh, what was the first thing you were addicted to? I said, sex, because that was the first thing I could get my hands on that, you know, that, that actually gave me trouble. I mean, I used that motherfucker till it was bleeding. You know what I mean? On a regular basis. And uh, so I knew I recognized that clearly. And then they, at that point, the counselor in the room said, wait, wait a minute. You can't be addicted to sex. And I thought, holy fucking shit. Here I am desperate to, to try and save my ass. And the fuckers run into place. Don't even know what the fucking disease is about. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. This is a world of shit. So I, I, I didn't, I, it made it difficult for me to wrap my head around the idea that the program was absolutely serious. Then the first asshole I asked to be my sponsor. I called him every day for the first, uh, well, I guess the first six weeks. Called him every day. And uh, he never answered the fucking phone one fucking time, not once. And uh, after that, I called him like uh, every few days, maybe then maybe once a week. And then I finally stopped calling him. Then I ran into him in a meeting. Six months later, I had picked this uh, group in, uh, in the treatment center, no less, to be my home group. And it was the oldest meeting in New Orleans at that point called Stone Free, and uh, it was kind of uh, decrepit. It, I, I mean, uh, half the time I was the only home group member there. You know, it was a real small meeting, maybe six, eight people at the most, 10 people, maybe once in a great while. So in he walks, and he's got a fucking sponsee with him, a young, a brand new kid, you know, and I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, not only does he show up, he doesn't even say hello to me. I got to talk to him. And, and he's, he's got a new guy with him, but we wouldn't talk to me. What the fuck, you know? And then he says, oh, listen, he says, we have to have an emergency business meeting after the meeting. And uh, I said, well, okay, sure. He's got a lot of time. He had two years, you know, it was fucking amazing. And, uh, so we have this fucking business meeting and I'm the only home group member there, him and the new guy. Now, the thing was, anybody could vote in our business meetings, you know, he says, well, he says, I've got it on good authority that this uh, facility, this hospital is getting a tax write off because there's an N.A. meeting on the grounds. And I thought, 
that don't smell right, you know? And he says, so he says, uh, uh, we're going to have to have a vote as to whether we close this meeting or not. You know, he says, it's against, it's breaking traditions. So we have to close this. I vote we close this meeting. And the newcomer says, okay, I vote that way too. And that's it. The fucking meeting is dead. So the asshole shows up and closes the only, my fucking first home group down. And I asked him, I said, why don't you answer the goddamn phone? He says, I ain't got time for that shit. I thought, Jesus fucking Christ. This is a fucking program going to save my life, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, I didn't have good experiences early in recovery, but I did recognize clearly that I needed to stay clean. And and I did enjoy being clean and being around uh, people in the rooms. But I had my doubts. You know, I sure as hell didn't like religion. Uh, uh, The girl I married had a history of abuse by her grandfather and then a bunch bunch of Catholic priests, you know, and and they didn't stop with my my old lady. They had wrecked the lives of about a a dozen or more addicts who were in the rooms in uh, one whole fucking family, which I won't name. Uh, well-known family was riddled with fucking people who were, uh, were being abused by priests and they were all crazier and dog shit. You know what I mean? They've been really fucked up by it. So that, that plus my early experiences, my family was a uh, Irish Catholic, but they actually were raised in Scotland, which is a vastly Protestant country, mostly Protestant country. And they had to fight every day on the way to school, walking past the, the public school or Protestant school, whatever you want to call it. And then coming home, they had to fight on the way back home. It was, it was nuts, you know, and I'm thinking, this is fucking religion. What the fuck? You know, this is crazy. Uh, I can remember being in, in catechism in like uh, sixth or fifth or sixth grade or some shit. And the priest is telling us, yeah, we're the we're the, the lucky, we're the lucky few. He says, we've been gifted by God with the with the gift of faith. And I thought, wow, I got fucked. You know, I didn't get the gift of fucking faith. Anyway, so yeah, my my experiences with religion were very negative. And I the, 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 the fucking teachers in school, you know, they used to beat the living shit out of us with rulers, with fucking hammer handles, with all kinds of shit. Well, just slap the fuck out of us, you know, when we were, you know, and I was a, I was a real good target because I, I, I would just uh, prop a book up in front of the, you know, on, on, on the guy in front of me in class and I would read, you know, I wouldn't pay no, it was boring. It was like watching paint dry when it was already dry, you know, it was terrible. And, uh, so I was a big target and they were pissed at me because I was intellectually lazy and all this shit. Anyway, bad, bad experiences in school, all, all tied to being uh, basically an addict, even before I was using heavy drugs. So, uh, so I came by that, honestly. But uh, when, I, when I went, to, after I went through treatment in 84, I, uh, I was clean for like eight months. But during that period, I'd be walking down the street and I would stop and I would think and I would remember my connections phone number. Oh, OK, I still got it. OK, I'm good. You know, and then I would keep walking, you know, 
I really wasn't in recovery. I was around recovery. You know what I mean? I wasn't working a program. I didn't really believe in the goddamn program, actually. Or rather, I knew it didn't work. That was even worse. And then I had this terrible relapse at eight months. And it was really bad. Really, really bad. I was using an insane amount of dope for uh, about a month, month, a month and change. Uh, dope and fucking coke. And uh, I was really fucked up. And uh, at the end of that, and one day, uh, I was absolutely positive my heart had stopped at least five times during that day. And I knew at the end of the day that I only had a day or two to live because I, I didn't want to stop. I didn't want to quit. And I knew it was going to kill me. And boy, that scared the Jesus fucking Christ out of me. My, I mean, it scared me so bad that I went back to a meeting. You know, I, I was shaking like a goddamn leaf when I got to the meeting. And, um, uh, That was the beginning, you know, uh, July, uh, January. Uh, well, I, I, it's between the uh, 13th and the 17th. I, I could never figure out the date. So I just celebrate on January 17th of 85. And it was a very, 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 very fucking slow progress for me because uh, I didn't believe in any of it. You know, not a fucking thing. I just identified with the other addicts in the room. I was comfortable around addicts, not around normal people. Uh, and, and, and I enjoyed just shooting my mouth off in meetings. You know, I, I, I thought it was enjoyable, you know, but I really thought it was nonsense that those, you know, bunch of crap, they were conning each other, or, you know, whatever. And, uh, after three, about three years in, I was, it was evident to me because I could see it in people I had met who had come into rooms after me and were getting well. They really were getting better. You know, I could see that the improvement in their lives and the improvement in their personalities. And some of these people were genuinely dangerous fucking lunatics. I mean, seriously, fucking very dangerous people still to this day. They still are. And uh, some of them. And uh, and I could see them getting better and I wasn't getting any better. I was still angry and crazy as shit. And. Of course, blaming everybody else wasn't my fault. I wasn't doing anything. I was doing everything right. I wasn't using. Leave me the fuck alone. I'm good. You know, don't bother me. And uh, I was going to meetings, though. You know, it's the only game in town. And uh, I started asking questions. So I asked people, uh, what, what the hell is going on here? How the fuck is this happening? You know, what, what is this stuff that you're doing that that that's uh, that's working. What exactly are you doing? You know, and they told me the standard shit: uh, going to meetings, calling the sponsor, which I still was having trouble with even at that point because of the terrible fucking experiences I had. 
Uh, I can't tell you how many people I asked to be a sponsor who said, no, I, I don't have time for anybody as crazy as you, which was genuine. It was, a, they would, you know, it was well-deserved. I was nuts. Uh, but, you know, so, you know, I, I just didn't have any fucking luck with that. And uh, the upshot of the questions was that uh, they had no idea why any of this stuff was was changing them or what what it was that was working for them they couldn't tell you for a million dollars no fucking clue and i did well you know it's obviously working even though they don't have a fucking clue so it's whatever the fuck they're doing that's working they don't understand why but i need some of that shit in my life so i'm gonna try to start doing it well, I I, uh, I was still operating under my own fucking operating system and, and not, not, not listening to other people, you know. So it, it still took a long fucking time. I mean, I was still under the, uh, I was still thinking like an addict, you know, and people, people wanted me to do service work at the, what are you fucking nuts? I don't, something I don't have to do. You want me to do extra fucking shit? You're out of your fucking mind. I'm a fucking addict. I don't know where you come from. You guys are fucking stupid. And so I didn't do any service work until I was seven years clean. And then I got hoodwinked into it by some idiot. I went to a goddamn service meeting just to show up and see what they were doing. And I got volunteered to be vice chair of area. And then right after I get volunteered into this shit, the group that I'm, uh, people uh, uh, that I'm, you know, they split off into a new fucking area. And I'm the vice chair. It's, it's okay if you're vice chair. You don't have to know anything. You don't have to do anything. You just watch the chairperson for a year and then you become chairperson and you know what to do because you watched the uh, chairperson for a year. Well, the girl who was chairperson was pregnant. Three months down the line, she be, she gets permanent bed rest for the rest of her pregnancy. And I'm the fucking chairperson. And, and this is a brand new area. We got to write guidelines. We got to do the entire goddamn thing. Set up the whole son of a bitch. And I don't know anything. I got no experience, man, oh, man. Anyway, it was the best thing that ever happened to me in my whole life up to that point. And... Uh, I got all that shit done with help from a lot of good people. And, uh, and it changed me more in that two year period of being the vice chair and then the chair, uh, than I had changed in the previous seven, you know, and I re I realized, wow, doing this shit really is good for me. It's fucking, it, it, you know, it's a pain in the ass. I don't like to do it. It doesn't matter if I like it or not like it. It works anyway, you know, whether I understand it or don't understand it, it works, period, you know? So I, I was still hesitant and, and, and backwards. Uh, I couldn't write steps because even though I won awards for writing in school, uh, I couldn't write about myself. I still, I still can't, but that's okay. I went to therapy and, and, and uh, uh, on my own uh, decision to get into therapy and uh, went to therapy for two years. And at the end of two years, 
I was, uh, it was clear to me that uh, it was made clear by a really good therapist. That it was fine if I couldn't write about the steps. This isn't the work your steps to die, motherfucker, years, you know. And uh, I, I had felt like a fake every time I stood up with everybody else and said, work your steps or die, motherfucker. And I'm thinking, well, I ain't working no fucking steps, but I ain't going to die to make you happy. Fuck it, you know. Anyway, so at the end of two years, I understood it was okay as long as I figured out how to work them. Uh, and, I, and I was still in the bullshit deal of uh, you just have to live them. You don't have to write them. And, and I know today that that's complete bullshit. Uh, uh, I wasn't writing them or working them. You know what I mean? So I was bullshitting myself both ways. But at 15 years clean, I had gotten hep C uh, real bad. I had it for 30 something years by that point. And um, at 15 years, it, it, it went south. And uh, I went in to uh, get the uh, interferon, you know was the only thing they had in those days. And when I went to the, I, I had been in the, you know, in the system and they said, when you're sick, come see us. I said, okay, I'm sick. And then they said, okay. And they checked it out. They said, you know, you're, you're uh, starting stage four and uh, you, you waited too long. I said, what are you talking about? I'm still working for a living for Christ's sakes. I work every fucking day. And I'm strong and I'm healthy, you know, I, I'm, but I'm starting to feel bad. I waited till I was sick, like you told me to. Anyway, I screamed and hollered until they said, okay, okay, we'll give you a, a trial, trial run, three months. Three months down the line, it was evident that the stuff was really working, which was wonderful. But interferon is a drug that used to be a cancer drug. But they stopped using it for cancer patients, even though it worked, because it killed too many of them. But it was the only thing that worked for hep C. So fuck it. Give me that shit. You know, whatever. And after 11 months, it worked. I was uh, in, undetectable. But I was also out of my motherfucking mind. That stuff makes you nuts. Literally, not figuratively, but absolutely literally. And at the end of that, I lost my business, my vehicle, uh, my tools. Uh, I lost all my transportation and, and all my income. And uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. I, 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 all, I, all I knew what to do was to go to meetings. So I was going to meetings and I had a friend call up uh, a young guy who was, uh, was desperate to get in, in, get the program. And he says, uh, I need your help. I says, well, what can I do? He says, uh, I need to get to meetings. I need to get to a lot of meetings. I says, oh, that's perfect, Fernando. Give me a get, call and pick me up every fucking day. We'll go to meetings. And we started to go to meetings. We went to three to five a day on the weekdays. And on the weekday and the weekends, we just live in the rooms. We go to five to seven a day on the weekends. So at the end of this period, which I called him up a couple of years ago, and I said, Fernando, uh, maybe three, four years ago, I called him. I said, Fernando, how long was that period where uh, you were taking me to meetings? I said, was that three months, four months, five months? He says, Dennis, it was a year and a half. 
So if you want to know what kind of damage that shit does, that interferon, it fucks you up bad. Bad, bad, bad. I could tell you horror stories about friends of mine. You wouldn't fucking believe shit they did when they were on interferon. Anyway, but it worked, okay? I got I got clean from hep C. I stayed clean. Uh, I didn't I didn't get loaded and uh I got through that period. At the end of that uh, year and a half, though, I had an insight as to the, the operation of a program, what it does, how it does it, why it does it, how to repeat it. And in those days, I wasn't very clear on how to explain it to other people. But I knew that if I understood this and I practiced it, eventually I'd figure out how to tell other people. So that's what I do today. Uh, it became clear that, that that night I was on my way to a meeting with one of the truly insane psychopathic lunatics that I've known to this day in the rooms who helped me understand this program. If it changed him that radically, this fucking shit was fucking magic. You understand? Uh, I mean, he got clean because he was going to take off his drug dealer with a shotgun. And he goes to the fucking house where his drug dealer is and he realizes, oh, my fucking God, I forgot. This is the building that my uncle owns. He says, and if I shoot this motherfucker with this shotgun, it's going to wreck the whole fucking wall. And then I'm going to have to fucking fix it because my uncle's going to make me fucking fix the wall. You're not going to know I shot the guy, but he's, I'm still going to have to clean the whole fucking mess. Man, fuck. And he's thinking, you know, if that's the only reason I can think of not to shoot this fucking guy, there just might be something wrong with me. Huh. <laughs> and he, and he, started, he started at that point to get clean. Eventually, his own wife shot him in the stomach <laughs> when he was sleeping. This is a genuine fucking psycho, buddy. Everybody on the street hated this motherfucker completely. And yet today he's one of the nicest guys. He's still a little rough, rougher on the edges, I'll tell you that. But uh, he, he, he'd come up behind me. I had three kids and I wasn't too, uh, too overly employed in those days. But uh, he'd come up behind me and slide a fucking 60 bucks in my pocket, you know, because he knew I was hungry and then didn't have food or whatever. And looking for no, nothing in return. Nothing. No kudos, no, uh, no, you owe me nothing, nothing, nothing. Don't worry about it. You'd help me if I was in a bind. Yeah. So we're still good friends to this day. And uh, he's still clean and still nuts, you know, but he's, he works a real good program, you know. So it becomes as if he's a really nice guy. That was one of the clearest indications to me as to how this worked and why I think part of the reason that I think the way I do. In any event, I believe that the uh, product that the, pro that the program produces, the essential product that the program produces is humility. And the, the, uh, the way to get the humility is through taking actions, 
humbling actions, you know, and specifically uh, the priority, you know, and that's a program. Is a set of humbling actions. So how spiritual is that? Have you ever seen anybody do spiritual push-ups or spiritual jumping jacks? Maybe spiritual squats, you know? Who knows, you know, whatever. So if I'm acting my way into better thinking or acting my way into the condition of humility, which is the antidote to egomania, by the way, addicts being egomaniacs with an inferiority complex. Humbling actions reduce or manage to induce some humility in me and reduce the egomania and, and, and then induce some humility in me. Not much because I'm not very, very humble, but I know I don't beat myself up over that. That was one of the things I would do early on when I was trying to get this straight. But uh, I don't do that anymore. Uh, it's clear when I'm uh, when I'm unhumble, like if I'm driving and I get pissed off at somebody in the car, you know, instead of screaming and hollering, and I realize, fuck, I need to do some of this prayer shit. Yeah, and uh, it's another thing that I've learned about. You know, NA is a program of action and prayer. Prayer is an action. Okay. That's why all, all religions work if practiced. Any one of them, pretty near, except the truly bizarre, insane fucking ones possibly work. And they all tell you to pray. They want you to pray to different gods. They want you to pray to different, you know, in different religious beliefs. They want you to pray different prayers, different languages, you know, da, 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 da. Uh, and then prayer works. That's why they tell you to, to do it. But it works for reasons other than they think it works. It's strictly a humbling action where I put my hands together and I bow my head and I adopt the posture, the pose of humility and it's one of those human uh, things that is is equal everywhere in the world everywhere in the world this is immediately identified as a humble posture okay and because the reason the reason it is is because it actually makes you humble when you adopt this posture kneeling down prostrating yourself before the altar of god bowing your head you know all this stuff actually induces some humility by itself in and of itself and the action of prayer particularly when repeated which is my two cents to that but i'm not the origin of that idea catholics have rosary beads repeat 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 an endless series of prayers muslims have the worry beads all religions have ritual practices where they come together on a regular basis ritually adopting humble postures 
in groups or singly, whatever you want to do. But it's all assuming the position, okay? Most of you ladies can chuckle about that, but uh, it actually is effective. It actually works when the position is assumed. So operating a program is assuming the position or the posture of humility. And the reason that it doesn't work, supposedly, that it doesn't change us, it changes us temporarily as long as we're maintaining a process that keeps us somewhat humble. Uh, it's, it becomes as if I'm humble. Not that I'm really humble. I'm still an egomaniac. Absolutely. No question about it. The disease is incurable. So is egomania, by the way, medically speaking. Egomania, the condition, the mental condition of egomania is incurable. What a coincidence. Yeah. And uh, it can be arrested at some point. And recovery is then possible. Okay. Operating a program arrests or slows down or mutes the egomania for me. Okay. And uh, maintaining the, uh, the posture of humility by taking program actions, going to meetings, sharing a message, carrying a message uh, uh, to newcomers, uh, uh, allows me allows me to to, to uh, uh, enjoy all the, all the good things in life because it keeps me more humble than it is even remotely possible for me to be at all without the process. But it's essential to remain in the process because as if means just that. It doesn't mean I'm humble. It means that from the outside, it looks as though I were humble. I'm taking humble, humbling actions. I'm operating a program, I'm doing the next right thing. I'm carrying this, you know, I'm sharing meetings, going to meetings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Making phone calls, staying in touch with, sticking with the winners, all of that stuff. I do that all day long, all the time. And um, it is as though uh, I'm, I'm humble uh, the vast majority of the time, you know. Um, I still have my moments, you know, cut me off in traffic and you'll find a, a raving lunatic instantly, you know. So uh, I used to beat myself over that, uh, beat myself up over that, but uh, I don't anymore. What, what happens when that happens? is I understand that what I need to do immediately to counteract the, uh, the, the resurgence of the egomania is work more program. And the way I, one of the tickets I use for that is prayer. And how does an atheist fucking pray? Holy shit. How do you get past that one? Well, I pray in Japanese. Nam yo ho renge kyo. 
Nam-myoho-renge, it's an old Buddhist mantra. And what it means in one translation is the law is the jewel in the lotus. What the fuck is that? You know, I actually know kind of what they're referring to that the, uh, the series of actions that they want you to take are the actual prize in, uh, in Buddhism, practicing, practicing, practicing. And, and they think the same way I do, frankly. That's what they say at the end of every lecture they give you in the, in the Buddhist temple. Practice, practice, practice. And that's exactly how they do it. Put the hands together, bow their heads and say, practice, practice, practice. Buddha figured it out 2,600 years ago. You know, so I like to say, how did an Indian holy man become an Indian holy man? He acts like an Indian holy man. He adopts uh, a lotus posture and gets his begging bowl out and sits it in front of him and waits for people to put food in it. He prays all day long. He, he uh, you know, he meditates all the time. And uh, Buddhist monks have, uh, in, in Tibet, have taken, uh, uh, deliberately uh, studied EEGs. E e electroencephalograms that measures the brain waves and such and they have different brain waves than normal people they have a very much very stronger what they call a theta wave and when they take um what do you call those damn things magnetic scans i can't think of the damn term anyway when you can see the interior of the brain and their amygdala is enlarged. That's the thing that operates our flight or fight mechanism. And in their case, the amygdala is far stronger than ordinary folks. And the only difference between us and them is that they meditate for six or eight hours a day. Meditation is another form of prayer. So what they're doing is a program of sorts, a primitive program, undoubtedly, but definitely an effective program when practiced again. Lots of Buddhists kill each other right and left all over the place all the time. Look what's going on in Myanmar right now. It's fucking horrifying shit. Anyway, so the bottom line is, uh, is that the, the, the key to this whole picture is the as if. If I maintain the process, it stays as if I'm a, I'm a clean recovering addict. And, it, and, and, and from outside, it looks like as if I'm a good neighbor, a good friend, um, a good sponsor, a good grandfather, a good father, all of this shit. Now I'm a good great-grandfather, believe it or not. And... Uh, I actually hit 75 a couple of days ago. So, you know, uh, this is all about uh, process. It's the process that's effective. And uh, 
like myself, if you adopt this process and work at it diligently, it will change everything, change what I thought, felt, and believed. And, and I really knew this shit didn't work. But just going to meetings, I wasn't taking these fucking suggestions. You know, I was going to meetings once or twice a week, maybe. But even that over a three-year period changed what I believed. I started to believe in the program. I never could get a belief in a higher power, though. I still don't like that whole thing. I think that's thinly veiled religion at best. And I, and I don't like it. I don't, I don't claim to have any higher powers whatsoever. But I have a process which I follow, quote, religiously. You understand? I, I operate the process like it would, it's necessary to keep me alive. And, it, you know, that's a fact in my case. I still think if I, if I relapse, I'll die in a day or two. Uh, the amount of time you have, I think that's important to maintain your, the, the time. But I believe that the, the adoption of the entire process, I started it when I was like uh, 19 years clean, I think. I got into my first step study, and I've been in that step study now. Uh, that would be uh, 11 and 7 is 18 years, 18 and a half years. And I'm still working steps every week, you know. I go to a lot of meetings, two or three meetings a day. As a general rule, this wonderful fucking Zoom thing makes it so easy. And I, I do a lot of praying and, uh, and as much meditation as I can get. I, I meditate and pray while I'm walking the dogs, driving the car, you know. Oh, I can do some of that prayer shit. Cool. Doom, doom. Nam yo ho, the whole thing about prayer and repetition, and, and if you think about it, you know, repetition is the uh, is the is, is the primary uh, operating uh, key to a program. You got to get up and do it all over again every day, just for today. I work a whole program, all twelve steps every day, uh, through my day. You know, I, I'm aware of this whole process, and I practice it deliberately intentionally with the full understanding of what what it does and uh how it does it and why it does it it's a change in my posture i adopt a humble posture in my life to the best of my ability and um the point behind all of that that's really important is that if you believe in a higher power, that's fine. It works great if you believe in a higher power. If you work the process. If you don't work the process, there ain't enough higher powers to keep you clean. So it doesn't matter what I think, feel, or believe. It matters what I do. It is an action program. I take these actions deliberately, intentionally, and rigorously, regularly. And, uh, and boy, it works really, really well.
So uh, I don't know if anybody got anything out of that, but I like to tell people what's going on. And uh, I don't often get uh, much in the way of appreciation because it's long, it's boring, and, and it sounds like nuts to most people. But it is my actual experience. This is not theory. Or this is stuff, and stuff that I, I work intentionally and have maintained now for a long, long time and given me greater relief and greater freedom in my life than uh, at any time in recovery prior to that. Uh, I feel like I wasted the first 20 years in recovery almost. And uh, so... So if you're particularly uh, uh, an atheist or a, uh, somebody who's, um, I was agnostic when I first got here because I was afraid. I was indoctrinated so heavily into religious belief. And I was the only person I knew of that, that really, really had a problem with believing. You know, people didn't even talk about it, you know, in those days. It wasn't even like a topic for conversation, you know. But uh, I, I was so indoctrinated, I was afraid not to believe. But once I understood this about a program, I realized clearly that religion is a primitive program. The function of religion is multifaceted. It's, uh, it, 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 it basically allows for humanity to operate and, and, and cooperate with one another. If there's no humility, there's no teaching, there's no, there's no need for honesty. There's no need for decency. There's no need for, uh, you know, uh, don't touch my shit. You know, there's, there's no need for, you know. Civilization does not work without humility. Period. And... Uh, the Greeks thought it was all one thing. They didn't believe in the separation of mind and body. And they, they even, their, their word for breath and spirit is the same word. And they were the smartest folks that came along at, up to that point. And, and, and I think a lot of the, what they understood was lost in history. But, uh, but I'm in that same uh, that same school, I suppose. That uh, not that I'm as, as I'm equal to any of those ancient Greeks. Don't get me wrong; I'm not that fucking crazy. But uh, I do understand where they're coming from. That the body and the mind are one thing, and uh, they're not separated or or, or different. Really. It's a whole process to, to, hold, to heal the whole body and, and the mind all at one time. It has to all be taken into account. Can't fix one and then get the other one later. <laughs> so all tied together. And everything is one thing. The reason, you know, like the, some of the old uh, uh, things... Uh, my strength is as the strength of 10 because my heart is pure. It's humble. My heart is humble. That gives me infinitely more strength than other people. The meek shall inherit the earth. No, it's the humble. It's another word for humble, really. And uh, what's the other one there? 
there's a bunch of them. I can't think right now. Tired. But there's a whole bunch of old sayings that uh, if you just put the word humble in there, it all starts to line up and make sense. So anybody can do this, regardless of what you believe or think or feel. Anybody can take these actions and get the same results, despite what they think or despite what they feel. I, I, I often say that this works. I, I work this program despite what I think and despite what I feel. When I feel angry about some asshole cut me off, that means I need to fucking pray. You know, uh, doesn't mean there's anything wrong with me that I'm not being a, a, a bad person or a fucking loser or have no program. It just means that I'm not operating enough program. And if I pick up my program, it will change the way I think and feel. I'll stop wanting to kill the son of a bitch and I'll start feeling sad for him. You know, that I'm grateful that I'm not him, you know? So it changes what I think and feel. It takes anger and turns it into compassion. And again, anybody can do that. It's a matter of taking the actions. So you can start your day off any time you want. All, all over again, you can start your day all over again, anytime at any point in the day, just start working program. And that's experience. Again, I do that on a regular basis. So develop, if you, if you knew or old, whatever, develop a uh, a series of practices that you practice uh, ritually and, 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 and absolutely actions that you take every day, not thoughts, not feelings, but actions, intentional actions and see if it don't work. You know, don't take my word for it. I wouldn't <laughs> try it yourself and check it out. And, uh, I mean, it works so good. I can, all I have to do is repeat Nam Yoho Rengekyo most of the time now, uh, four or five times. And, 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 and it feels like, uh, I, I, I can feel my, my thought process start to change. And I, and I start, stop being angry and I stop being hurt and I stop being upset. And my focus changes and I start thinking about working more program and, and getting my shit back together, having a different perspective and the whole, the whole package. And it's, uh, you got to have a, a trigger process. I use prayer, from, which is hysterical because I hated the whole, I heard my first prayers when I, when I, when I first did this shit, I, 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 I started to believe in it. And, uh, and other people were doing it. And I, and I thought, man, it's fucking ridiculous. I hate this whole fucking thing. And uh, my first prayers were, uh, uh, I, 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 I know you'll help me if I'm asking you. So I'm asking you. <laughs> and it fucking worked, you know. It took like six months. You know, to, for my prayers to, to and, I, and, I, and, I, and I stopped believing in it and I, and I never thought it was going to happen. And then it fucking happened. Six months down the line, 
shit worked out, you know, that I, I knew couldn't work out. I knew it was fucking impossible. There's no way, no way. And then suddenly something happened uh, unexpected and completely out of the fucking ballpark. I didn't know where the fuck it came from, left field, right field. And, uh, and, and the shit worked out, you know. It still took me years to put that together. That was before I, I, I took the interferon. First times, a couple of times I prayed. But uh, whatever. So I guess we can. Does anybody uh, <laughs> feel up to ask, asking any questions about any of that stuff? I'll be happy to answer them. Not all at once now. Slow down. Take it one at a time. 